Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Piet van Billion on the show today. Piet is the founder of BMNP Strategies, LLC. He advises clients on innovation strategy, new product development, and R&D transformation. He serves clients in all sectors, but has particularly deep expertise in the high-tech electronics, software, and advanced manufacturing industries. Piet is an adjunct professor at Georgetown University, where he teaches a graduate course on innovation and public policy. He was formerly a management consultant at McKinsey & Company and managed McKinsey's global innovation practice. He has held executive positions in several companies internationally. Piet holds an engineering degree from Stellenbosch University and a master's degree in ex- economics from the University of South Africa. Currently lives in McLean, Virginia. Piet, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited for the conversation. Thank you, Jared. Good to be with you. Why don't we just jump right in? Uh, tell me, what is innovation? Okay, so my, my, my slightly longer academic definition of it is that um, innovation is a creative and analytically rigorous process Mm -hmm. for organizations to solve valuable problems for their customers and for themselves. Let me unpack that really quickly. Um, um, So the end of this, uh, to solve valuable problems for their customers and for themselves, uh, referred to, uh, to my belief that innovation is a means to an end, not an end in itself. Mm. We see so often, mm-hmm. you can read annual reports, everybody loves saying innovation. You can read um, press releases, uh, everybody loves uh, saying something about innovation. I wish I could get a nickel uh, in the time somebody uses the <laughs> word innovation. I would share it with you, we would do very well. Yes, we uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what I often end up asking clients when they say that they want to innovate more or they want to get stuff done or whatever, I said, well, what do you need innovation to do for you? So what kind of valuable problem do you want it to solve for you? Is it because you want more revenue? Is it you want more profit? Is it you have an efficiency problem? So it becomes very real very quickly if you mm. say, why do you want to innovate? Right. So that's the second part of it. And the first part, um, it's a creative and analytically rigorous process. Um, so that refers to the whole left and right brain idea. We cannot do innovation. If we're just doing the creative stuff, we need to do the homework, we need to do the analysis. But if we just do the analysis, and we just ask the what questions and the why questions, and we don't do the creative side, which is asking like the what if questions, how things could be different kind of questions, mm-hmm. we're also not kind of completing the, the loop on innovation. Right, right. That, that's, that's so true. How do you um, help your students and, and clients think about connecting those things? Is it something that is, uh, you know, it has to be present in a single person? Is it something you balance at a team level, at an organizational level, the left and right brain piece? It, that's a really good question. You, it's, it's very much, innovation is very much a social enterprise. So you have to consider everything mm-hmm. at the organizational level. I, 
one one of the biggest problems I have with the Hollywood depictions of innovators is that it's like the crazy professor right. with wild hair or whatever. It's like a single person who managed to come up with all this stuff. This is not how innovation works. It is true that when you have a team innovating, you can have different roles on it. Some people can take care more of the uh, of, of you know of the blocking and tackling. Others can be uh, working more on the insights or the creative part. Um, uh, so when you do innovations, you you have like different roles, and, and and some people are more comfortable with being in some modes than other, and and. There are um, ways to uh, to test for that when you have uh, different team members. Um, the, for example, I have one of the innovation diagnostics that I use can show you if you have people um, fulfilling these these kind of roles. It's called like the mm. ten personas of innovation from 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 Kelly um, uh, from from Idea, which is a very good way of thinking mm -hmm. about the personas of it. So that's the innovation process. But then in terms of how you manage it, yeah. um, that's really hard because uh, especially in an, an existing business, you are asking managers uh, at, you know, at the highest level and depending on how many levels down you're doing, um, uh, you've structured it, you're asking them to do two jobs. You're asking right. them to kind of um, keep the trains running with the existing business. Um, uh, where uh, everything is about efficiency and optimization and um, uh, you know getting things done quickly and 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 not wasting money versus the innovation side of, of their activities which is where you need to be willing to break things have much more of an open mind be willing to play around experiment um, basically pay money to learn lessons right. Um, and, and gain insights, whether it's about the technology or your customers. Um, there's, a, there's actually a term for that. It's called ambidextrous <laughs> leadership. Again, this left-right thing. Um, but it, it, it's tough for people to, uh, to balance it. Just, just put yourself in a, in a position of a CEO who has like a meeting about quarterly financials with, with her CFO um, at two o'clock and then at three o'clock talking about some out there kind of new technology that some team's working on, talking about what they're doing there. Right. It, it really requires a lot of gear shifts for the managers. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that kind of back-to-back -back sort of conversation. I can imagine, you know, having a conversation with the CFO where you're discussing, you know, millions of dollars uh, in terms of being where you need to be from a P&L standpoint, uh, and then, having the next meeting where someone's literally asking you for millions of dollars to go learn um, at something that may be useful five years from now when you're trying to hit a quarterly P&L target in the previous meeting. That's so very true. And that's the money right. side of thing. And then there's just the mindset uh, thing where, where with the finance, you're, you, it's all mm -hmm. tangible. If it's not in a spreadsheet, it doesn't exist, <laughs> as a CFO once, once said to me. Uh, <laughs> and then you look at the innovation side of things, and, and then you have to be able to handle the uncertainties and the ambiguities and, and so on a lot more. Mm -hmm. And there's actually been research that shows that uh, one of the things that suppress creativity is uncertainty. Huh. Human beings don't like uncertainty. So if they connect uncertainty 
to creativity and by association to innovation, that's going to suppress innovation. So you have to kind of find the right techniques to get people a bit more comfortable with that side of it. Interesting. Certainty to me sounds a bit like, um, and this is a, a, probably another dichotomy that you, you, you've seen and, and dealt with. It's not that innovation requires no boundaries, right? It, it, it almost sounds like when you talk about um, you know, uh, certainty being a, a, a catalyst for creativity, you, you need to give people the right boundaries to be innovative um, versus, versus, you know, here's a pile of money, go off on the, to this other, you know, to this special location and come back and tell me what you got. Uh, that's right. You, you have to um, honest creativity. You have to put boundaries on it. Mm. And it's interesting because there's um, Peter Drucker, um, a guy that the present generation of, of executives probably don't read as much as they should. Um, mm. uh, but, but he's still considered, you know, a great thought leader right. uh, in, 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 in management and as well as innovation. He gave us, um, you know, some decades ago, this idea that innovation has to be systematic, that it's a purposeful and organized search for things that are changing. Hmm. And then an analysis of what opportunities might come from those changes and, and how you could innovate based on those. So it's interesting how that definition kind of handles this dichotomy, because what he's saying is you've got to have, um, in terms of your certainty, you almost have to have a process that you know works for you as an organization. Right, right. And then inside this process, you can kind of, deliberately look for things that are maybe uncertain, unexpected, as he said, you're looking for unexpected failures, right, you know, and, and then you might uh, realize that you could, the glue doesn't work for this, but you can make post-it notes out of it, that kind of thing. You're looking for incongruities between things that your customers tell us, uh, tell you and things that they really do, and maybe that tells you about the product. So he actually came up with a whole list of weird things or you know, changes and so on to, to look for. But the idea that you have this robust process to handle all that um, uh, is, is, I think, the way to, to resolve the seeming con contradiction. It's almost like having a, a fire that can safely burn you know, inside an enclosure. Right. Which, uh, and and, and, and so, so you, you figure out a way how to handle that. Mm, right, right. That makes sense. So you know, with that sort of um, understanding of what innovation is uh, and that view of it, in your mind, uh, what isn't innovation? Well, very good question. And, you know, at a very practical level, I've seen people um, claim things as innovation or not innovation, depending upon what's incentivized, right? So mm -hmm. if there's budget for innovation, you whatever you're working on is innovation. <laughs> right, if, there's, exactly. if there's no budget for innovation, but budget for other things, then whatever you're working on is, 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 is not innovation. Right, right. So that's one way of looking at what, what thing to watch out for is just the human nature and, and trying to, uh, trying to adopt it. The, but I would say, if you go back to my definition that to innovate is to, is to have an analytically rigorous, as well as a creative, process for for coming up with solutions to valuable problems mm -hmm. if you if you remove any of those elements it's not innovation if you're not working on solving a valuable product uh, uh, problem 
then you're kind of just entertaining yourself and it's not in innovation. Right. If, you, if you're neglecting the analytical part of it, uh, you're uh, not doing your homework, then that's not proper innovation. Mm -hmm. But if you just do the analytics and there's no creativity, no attempt to look at things in a new way, then that's not innovating at all. So that's kind of a response from uh, what does it mean uh, to innovate versus not to innovate. Right. And, and that's the verb. So if I go to the noun, um, I, I still go always go back to um, to the definition that we got from the uh, mid 20th century um, Austrian economist who ended up at Harvard in his later years, who gave us three definitions of, 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 of three things of which innovation is only the second step. Hmm. So he said, um, of innovation. His definition was innovation is creative destruction where entrepreneurs combine existing elements in new ways. Hmm. And, and so when you're talking about existing elements, you're thinking, well, what, what's come before? Right. And in Schumpeter's system, what, what comes before is invention. That's when you've come up, come up with a new thing, like it's the laser or the transistor or right. whatever. So, so take the transistor, for instance. The transistor was um, developed at Bell Labs in the late 1940s. And the people who uh, were involved in that, the physicists and so on, they got Nobel prizes. But Bell Labs never commercialized um, the transistor. Huh. And the first really what we would call today a killer app, the blockbuster application of the transistor was when um, the founders of Sony Corporation, uh, just after the Second World War, visited the US and looked around for what they could do to, to build a business with. And they uh, saw the transistors, Raytheon were already making some other US companies, I think Texas Instruments, uh, there were a number of companies making transistors. Mm -hmm. um, and if it's not right, then um, it's probably some others. But a number of transistors were around and they picked the best, most robust, uh, most robust ones that have already um, kind of proven themselves because the initial ones, like any new technology, were not very reliable. Right. And they took them, uh, they took the idea back and they made these little pocket transistor radios hmm. um, that, that people of previous generations may remember, these tiny little pocket transistor radios that were a tremendous hit with the Japanese um, uh, public, especially the younger people uh, after, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the Second World War, they could listen to their music or whatever, they could carry it around with them. It was like before the Walkman, before the iPod, before the iPhone or wow. the smartphone, that yeah. was like the original uh, portable um, uh, electronic consumer product that was a huge hit, uh, hundreds of millions of, of these things were made. So if you look at that story, the transistor was the invention. The innovation was realizing that you could put um, a few transistors, the initial radios didn't even have many, you could put a few transistors together to make a, a working transistor radio hmm. that was small, that could work with a nine volt battery, which was also an innovation at the time. Right. Um, and and that, that people could, could, could carry their music with them. So what's the third stage in this process, according to Schumpeter, it's, it's what he called diffusion. We could call that table stakes or 
everybody else has got it. This is when uh, the technology is so ubiquitous that um, there's you, you can't really make much money out of it anymore because it's everybody's got it. Then you then you have to come up with the next innovation to, to to make money. So it's it's kind of a useful way of thinking about it because I think a lot of time people. Um, confuse some parts of research and development with innovation. If you if you map the parts of research and development that that are really more about the invention to invention, then you can separate out uh, the part that the parts that are more the um, about applying the technology, uh, building blocks to a new product or, or 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 other kind of offering. Right. Right interesting and uh, that has a uh, that has so many different implications to it not only how uh, big companies would think about innovation looking across r d product supply supply chain looking across you know marketing uh, and and all the different um, functional aspects of things but also um, potentially for even so, uh, solopreneurs or, or you know uh, small businesses out there how they can think about what's really required to be innovative uh, and how to how to best apply their limited resources uh, time effort um, to to uh, to its best effect in terms of trying to create something uh, of, of value that 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 uh, adds value to for their customers uh, it's not necessarily needing to have a, a create a molecule or a or a widget that no one else has it, that's only one part of the process Indeed, and and uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned entrepreneurs or, or or even solopreneurs because that is also an essential element of of Schumpeter's definition because he saw the entrepreneur as being central to this mm. process of creative destruction. Makes creative sense. destruction means both creating and destroying, right? So right. Um, the automobile destroyed the uh, the the horse-drawn buggy, right? <laughs> right. Um, the uh, streaming video uh, is, is destroying uh, you know DVDs and blu-rays and things like that right. so 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 the new thing is destroying the old it's cannibalizing its market mm -hmm. so he says entrepreneurs um, do that uh, by combining existing elements in a new way you don't have to invent um, you know a new uh, altogether new to world new to universe kind of thing to be able to innovate that's a very important thing to realize for people. You can take existing technology uh, that's already been proven and put it together in a new way to um, to serve the need of the needs of a customer. Yeah, so important and something that I think uh, is important to hear. You know, from an expert expert like you, who is you know who knows innovation uh, at a level that most people don't. To free, for you to be you know espousing. The, the 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 theory and the the fact that you don't have to be you don't have to invent to innovate I think is is something important for people to internalize yeah and and thanks for saying that by the way but I consider myself a mere student of, of, of innovation <laughs> I, I think it's one of these things that you never quite master yeah no I I, uh, I I can imagine that you'd see yourself that way and that, and that's part of what what makes you uh makes you great to talk to Pierre. Um, I think, you know, the, the story from, uh, of, of this Harvard professor um, makes me want to go a bit deeper on just kind of 
the history of innovation and how how uh, maybe management thinking around innovation, how has that evolved and changed over the years? It's interesting because today innovation, um, sometimes um, it's just uh, a mother of an apple pie thing. People like to say innovation is a good thing, but, but innovation throughout the ages, it was only basically around the time of the enlightenment in Europe that innovation became to, to be seen as something first acceptable and then as something good. And that, that wasn't that wasn't very long ago. I mean, no, it wasn't very long ago. So prior to that, um, the ancient Greeks didn't like the idea of innovation. The the medieval uh, uh, order, uh, you know, uh, in Europe, controlled by the by the church and so on, didn't like it because they associated it and, and perhaps rightly with challenges and disruptions to the uh, to the status quo. Mm. And um, so. Uh, it was only really later on that it, it became uh, more of something more acceptable around the, the, the scientific era, the industrial revolution and so on. Um, but it's interesting, we still obviously live with, with, with the same resistance, right, to, right. to the change that, that's brought from innovation. So these, uh, these concerns sometimes, um, sometimes ring very true. There's this wonderful uh, quote from Niccolo Machiavelli in, in his the thin little book, The Prince. Uh, <laughs> from Machiavelli, we obviously got the, the, the term Machiavellian. And, right. um, but he was also a very astute uh, observer of, of humanity and how organizations work. So he said, um, it's one of the first quotes on innovation, and, and this is early 16th century. Wow. He said, there's nothing more difficult to take in hand, more perilous to conduct, or more uncertain in its success than to take the lead in the introduction of a new order of things. <laughs> for, <laughs> for the reformer, or you could read the innovator, has enemies in all those who profit by the old order, and only lukewarm defenders in all those who would profit by the new order. And this lukewarmness arising partly from fear of their adversaries and partly from the incredulity of mankind who do not truly believe in anything new until they've had actual experience of it. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I, I show this quote when I talk about uh, innovation in organizations and why there's often resistance. This is not new. That's a... That's a 450-year-old quote, right? I mean, four that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and if if you if you change the language to a sort of more modern style of English, right. um, people wouldn't even suspect that quote is that old. Someone could have said that last week. Yeah, <laughs> if they were that eloquent and uh, and you know thoughtful. But yeah, it's it's not out of place in the 21st century. That's amazing. So, so as these things started to happen and the scientific reflection, people actually started making products and so on. Um, you know, I think entrepreneurs had the sense that if they did new things and people liked it, they could sell them. But economists really didn't have a theory for, you know, a good theory for innovation. Mm -hmm. if, in fact, if you do an introductory course, even today on macroeconomics, well, they teach you a lot of like new classical macroeconomics. Um, you have to go to the index to see where they mention innovation and they won't mention it often. And typically it will be in the sense of 
Well, innovation helps you to differentiate your product from, from the product of the next guy. Right. Right? And, and that gives you the ability to have a pricing premium because um, as Sam Palmasano, former CEO of IBM said, if you, if you don't innovate, you, you're in commodity hell. Right? <laughs> so, so you don't want to be in commodity hell. You don't want your product to be exactly the same as everybody else's product because then, um, then the price is just going to be slashed down to commodity level pricing. Right. So, so that was kind of the only way that the classical economic framework could uh, could you know make room for the idea of innovation and we had to wait for um, you know the aforementioned use of Schumpeter to come up with a, um, a, a, a basically a whole theory in the, in the mid-20th century of how innovation can um, play a, a role in the in, in the whole uh, never at rest capitalist economy because it's funny Schumpeter actually also studied the writings of Marx and we associate Schumpeter and he was very much a free market economist but a lot of what he uh, what where he started was was uh, with some of the insights and, and they were good insights um, it was just that these prescriptions uh, and talking about Marx were so terrible but the insights that they often had on, on how the economy kept changing and so on were, were, were actually interesting so Schumpeter started on that and, and that gave us these definitions that, that, that I mentioned that, that are quite useful to understand how innovation drives prosperity and so on and then we we have to go to to Peter Drucker to see the the, the idea that innovation organizations that want to do innovation well have to do it in a, in, a, in a systemic way. And I would say in the last 20 or 30 years post Drucker, what we've had is this whole um, addition in, in the late um, uh, 90s, early uh, 2000s, this whole um, concept of design thinking coming mm -hmm. from Stanford, coming okay. from companies like IDEO and so on. I mean, that, that, that it has to be um, about understanding the customer needs. Right. It's about uh, experimenting and testing things out. And then all that got combined with the, um, the ideas around uh, running leaner and the ideas around to agile that, that mm -hmm. started with the software movement, doing quick scrums, doing quick cycle developments. So that all got combined into the, um, the lean startup concept, which Eric Ries um, came out with about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. which, which I think is, is kind of the, the latest thing. And the funny thing I would say about what Eric Ries did with the lean startup is he, he, he took existing elements <laughs> and combined them <laughs> in new ways. So the lead, <laughs> so uh, he took agile. He took uh, he took uh, design thinking. He took um, Steve Blank's idea of customer development, which is a really powerful uh, way of thinking that you, when there's great uncertainty, you have to kind of develop the customer at the same time as you develop the the, the product. Mm. Um, uh, so he took all these things and combined them in a very nice way into his innovation called Lean Startup, and that's been very influential. Now, Lean Startup is one way of doing things when you are in a startup kind of environment. It's not suitable for everything, and you are in a startup environment where there's lots of uncertainty. Right. If, if there's certainty, you can kind of use the more linear kind of um, uh, established ways of doing things, mm -hmm. and you actually should. 
Um, and, and the trick is to know the difference again, if, if, if you're a manager or, or, or and, and you have to decide what process to use. But, but that's kind of where we are today. We've, 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 we've seen that the role that, how innovation plays a role in moving the economy forward. We've seen that it's systematic, thank, that, that if, if you wanna keep uh, growing as a company and keep being ahead of your competitors, you have to be very systematic about it and look, and this is the other thing we got from Drucker, look for those changes, look for changes in markets, look for changes in behavior or whatever of your customers, mm, right. look for changes in technology. Those are triggers of innovation that the, I think wisely counsel uh, us to look out for. And then the idea that the innovation process itself has to be very customer directed um, and, and, um, and creativity in the different roles and so on. That's the design thinking. And then put it all together uh, with, with, with the other um, strains of thought around lean efficiency and agile and uh, doing things with the customer. And you basically arrive at where we are today, where, where this is all. So there's a lot of tools available um, um, to uh, in order to innovate today. I think it's almost like an embarrassment of riches. Mm -hmm. for, you know, I sense it for clients because you you could read a new article in Harvard Business Review every uh, every uh, every month or every second month that, that makes you think, oh, this is the thing. This right? is now the I need to, yeah. <laughs> Now I need to do this, or now I need to do that. Right. Or, uh, <laughs> And, and, and so the trick is in, in, in selecting the right tools out of, out of the toolbox and, and kind of combining the right way for the particular um, endeavor that, 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 that you got going. Yeah, I think that's, that's so true uh, in terms of looking at uh, your current situation and wanting to do more innovation, better innovation, faster innovation. Uh, and and finding that next article or doing some googling and finding a framework, um, it uh, implies that the shortest path to more or faster or better is a new process. And I think uh, that's where you know the value of having someone someone like you uh, as a as a consultant or advisor uh, comes in because because people don't even realize the bias that they're bringing to reading an HBR article. Um, mm. The thought that a, an article can give you a new way of thinking or do or doing that will change your current state. But there's also the aspect of your company culture, the capability of your team, and the person that wrote that article has no perspective on that. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of leads me to there's two two things I want to want to talk about before I let you go. One is the uh, you know we talked a lot about the private sector and um, and customer centric thinking around innovation, and I, I'd love for you to touch on the the sort of flip side of that around public sector innovation. And then also I wanted wanted to see if you have any just any general advice for uh, for innovators out there. So th those are my last two questions. So let me take the first one, and this is obviously a big topic, the, yes. the differences between obviously. the public and the private <laughs> yeah. sector, right. that it's, it's kind of, uh, so that I can just basically touch on, uh, I would say innovation um, is, is just as important in the public sector, but it manifests itself differently sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, there are differences in uh, between private and public sector in terms of, uh, 
the, the, the cycle time and, and the risk tolerances. Those are the, the, the main differences. Now, this doesn't mean to say that the public sector is uh, more risk averse mm -hmm. um, in, in absolute terms than the, than the uh, private sector. You need to almost double click on that. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, the public sector, in fact, um, um, they are willing to take on huge technological risks, very long-term risks that the public sector is not willing to, to, to take on. The, the fact that we are talking right now is made possible through the internet, which is, uh, as, as many people uh, will know, is, is, a, is, a, is a public sector uh, um, basically invention. Right. Um, the, uh, the little cameras that are on your smartphone the reason that they actually have small little cameras that work so well um, and can take nice pictures of selfies of you or whatever your friends <laughs> is that NASA needed small miniature cameras to put on their satellites. Mm. Um, and, and so that technology got developed that way. We all use GPS all the time, right. which is a, a perfect example of, of a public good, which which everybody can use, which which has been. So a lot of these private sector innovations wouldn't have been possible if the public sector wasn't willing to take on those risks. The funny thing is that the, the public sector seems to be more uh, uh, more accepting of long term technological risk in these kind of things, but less accepting of but but less concerned about commercial risk or, or market risk because we uh, and sometimes so they they, they may not always um, innovate uh, most appropriately for their customer base right because they don't lose money if they don't lose money if the dmv experience isn't that friendly to you right? <laughs> um, um, on the other hand the, the private sector um uh, is is very attuned to the commercial risk and and, and whether customers would accept things but often, and you, you even see this with the startups and the VCs, they don't like high levels of technical risk. They, they rather want something that's already proven technically. Hmm. So, so you could almost say that they, uh, they prefer the invention to be made and the innovation technically to be proven. Um, and, and then they're willing to deal with whether there's going to be enough market acceptance to make it, to make it profitable enough. And even in established companies, that's typically the kind of discussions focus on, on, the, on, on more the market side of things than, um, than the making technology work side of things. Because in the private sector, uh, technology that doesn't work is, 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 it can be a really quick killer of not just a project, but, but of, uh, of, of your entire company. So there's that difference in how innovations perceived and, and in terms of the risk and so on this obviously difference in, in where the funds are coming from and, and what, right. the, what the, the taxpayers have different expectations to private investors. Uh, the funding process is different. The, 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 the public sector tends to have a very strict um, annual process and you lose funds that you don't uh, use in, in most cases, whereas the private sector, you know, can basically structure it the way they, they want, right? And any time there and they, they get to make their own funding cycles and they can use money that, that they haven't used, uh, you haven't consumed. Um, uh, so there's, there's a lot of those differences, but uh, there's also a lot of things that are similar, right? All the secrets to success that you have to know um, 
and maybe this gets more to your to your to your second question in in terms of uh, what do you uh, what do you need to uh, to do to get better at it. Um, you need to align with the strategy. So this goes back to my original mm. thing about why do you want to innovate? Exactly. If you can answer that question and if you can put it in quantitative terms, I want to innovate because I want to, uh, you know, expand my market here or whatever, and I need another five million customers or whatever uh, in this sector. That really. Um, gets your teeth into it right and it also gets you the management support because now you can show whether it's public or private sector now you can show how you are helping the organization achieve its purpose its mission at the, and and its goals at the highest possible level um the other big lesson is is pick growth markets you could be the best cell phone maker um, like nokia <laughs> if the market changes and the market wants smartphones with with touch screens um, you are going to lose out to an average maker of of, of smartphones mm. um, so it's it's about being at the right place at the right time right. is actually just as important in innovation as anything else the the, the most genius or sort of like uh, whatever um, uh, maker of, of of horse carriages in, in in 1920 would not have survived the automobile. Um, right. Um, so so people sometimes forget about that. It's you also have to find the right growth areas uh, to to innovate in. And then there's a lot of the um, just the uh, the how of innovation to get to get right. And again. Uh, long conversations but about having the distinctive insights that, that allow you to come up with good innovation, uh, putting in place a process that works for your organization in terms of how you want to experiment and, and, and test things and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, the last two points, I think, are true not just for innovation, but for everything else. Uh, execution's important. Innovation is, is complex and it requires taking something from idea to scaling it up to launching it. So you got to f- sweat the details. You got to right. focus on, on, on how you're going to uh, scale up things and how you're going to get the product or the service out the door. And there's no substitute for exercising and developing those execution muscles in the organization. And then, uh, which which is the last word that I'll mention, that's the organization. It's it's it requires the efforts of many people to get to get an innovation successfully launched. Um, and it all starts with with leadership. Um, it requires a healthy organizational environment um, so that people are willing to to take a little bit of a risk, are willing to exchange information and knowledge and collaborate. Um, and innovation doesn't work if the organization is dysfunctional. Innovation, I always like to say, is like the canary in the coal mine. Um, mm. You may find out that you're having problems with innovation, and then you may realize, well, these problems go way beyond just innovation. The organization right. itself is, 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 is in need of, of attention. Very interesting. Yeah, I could... Innovation stresses and puts strain on the core elements of what it means to be, you know, a a collaborative, uh, communicative, effective organization. Innovation leans heavily on that, uh, especially in large cross-functional companies. So I could see if you're having an issue in a specific area, 
innovation being the first the first place that that shows the canary in the coal mine. I, I love that. That's a great uh, a great a great analogy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that's wonderful. I, I took away. Uh, you know, it's got to be connected to strategy. Uh, it has to be a relentless focus on execution, and uh, and it's got to be at the organizational level for innovation to work. Uh, it seems to be the kind of three elements of your of your advice. There is that is that a fair takeaway? Um, it, it is fair. I mean, I would add the things that you know have to do with the innovate part of innovate, right? The creative and the experimental part about how you get the insights from different sources, Indeed. from your customers, from your, from technology, from what other organizations are doing with business models and so on, and and the and the supportive culture. And again, comes back to the organization and the, the, the uh, even with your experimentation it's an execution exercise you've got to ex you've got to have a process whereby you you can run these experiments and prototype test and learn so so i would i would uh, i would i would add uh, those parts to it uh, as well but yeah it's but as you say it's uh, it exercises kind of all the muscle, the organizational muscles mm -hmm. which is why um, it's so telling uh, for any organization um, and I almost like it's not a triathlon it's like a decathlon it's because it has these different events in because innovation yeah. requires you to be creative then it requires you to to experiment then it requires you to to execute but it also requires you to to have your strategy sorted out and, and so right. on and so on right so right. innovation and and you ask, well, why? Why does it check all these boxes? And you know why? Because innovation is about starting a new business every time. It's like reinventing, <laughs> yeah. you know. And yes. and so that's why, because it's Very it's true. an entrepreneurial activity, and um, it's almost like you're back to you to the garage and 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 your two friends and, and the dog or whatever, right? right. That, that you're starting with the the business with. So it's it will stress test, you know, like all elements of 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 management well well said well said uh piet thank you so much we've been talking with piet van billion uh founder of bmnp strategies llc and uh thank you so much piet for uh agreeing to join me uh, we've known each other for a while i remember when we met while i was at mckinsey i, I thought wow this this guy really knows his stuff and is a fascinating person uh, beyond innovation and, and on all sorts of other topics. So uh, thank you for uh, your continued uh, friendship and I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thank you very much and, and likewise, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC. O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means.